Four teams remain in contention for MLS Cup LAFC's magical game winner, courtesy of John Strong and Fox, as they knock out LA Galaxy in El Trafico 3-2 and move on. It'll be LA, LAFC and Austin on one side of the bracket, NYC visiting Philadelphia on the other. Welcome in to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines I'm Wes Bowling, who's covered the club from the radio side. And today we're joined by a special friend of the program, Eddie Carvacho. You guys know him well from radio, from listening to him on this podcast a couple times this year. Eddie, thanks for coming and joining us. No, thank you so much. I appreciated the invite. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. For, for those who are, who are not familiar, for the very few people who are not familiar with your MLS pedigree, tell us just a little bit about your background. Well, my first, let's see, my first MLS um, connection back when I was playing, back in 97, I was playing for the Elena Ruckus in the A-League. And that was the the many early years of the league where goalkeepers could float. Uh, we were almost like free agents. And we can, teams could, if they were in a need of a goalkeeper get injured, rosters in the MLS were reduced. You only had two goalkeepers and, when one went down, who do we call? So I, I I was one of those guys, and I was very blessed and fortunate that Columbus Crew actually called me a few times up uh, to join. Uh, never got to play. I was back in Brad Friedel, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Uh, so um, they didn't get to play, but I would come back and play for, for my club, Diana Ruckus in the A-League. So that was kind of the first connection uh, with the league. And then – karma and how the universe works uh in 2005 i get a call from greg and who was the head coach from the columbus crew and an assistant when i was got called up and he said hey i have a I have a, a a assistant coach uh position would you be interested and i'm like okay when do you want me when where let's go <laughs> so uh, i joined the coaching staff in 2005 with the columbus crew all the way through 2008 uh I was uh, 2006, actually, Greg was let go, and Robert Varzija and myself, we became the caretakers of the Columbus crew. I was doing the, back then there was a reserve league, which now is MLS Next Pro. Uh, so, man, I, I was immersed in it, and uh, I loved every minute. I uh, got a chance to work with Siggy Schmidt. Siggy came and took over the team, so that was an experience itself. Rest in peace. And um, and then I moved on to the front office. I, I, I did a little self-reflection time the mirror and it was time for me to spend time with my family and the kids were growing pretty fast so i leave the coaching side and i go into the management side of the club and i built a multicultural department for the club and basically wore all nine ten hats and um then i moved on to be the same role as a director of multicultural with the fc dallas so spend um several years in the league and get into know not only from a player or a coach perspective, but also from the management side of things. So have a little bit of perspective um, that um, I was able to carry. Even I was doing the radio uh, for Nashville SC this season, which uh, there was a lot of great questions. And sometimes you step outside the lines and you get a perspective from a coaching or a management side. Mm -hmm. So really excited to be here. Thank you. And every aspect of our prep was peppered with these very humble, but very humorous to me, like mentions of, of famous MLS names. Like you, you talk about six degrees of separation. I think Eddie's within maybe two degrees of separation with everybody who's ever played or managed in this league. Right there, you've heard Siggy Schmidt, one very successful MLS yes. manager after whom the coach of the year award is named. And Brad Friedel, somewhat less so uh, successful in, in New England. So great to have you along. And, and on this episode, it's going to be primarily a mailbag-driven edition of the show. We're going to talk about NSC's potential off-season moves. Is it a make or break next few months? Which forwards would we like to see in gold? Is there anybody in the league that maybe is going to be changing shirts and playing for Nashville SC, a la Teal Bunbury, CJ Sapong, these in-league in moves? Uh, could right. they make a difference? And who would be on the hat show print for our ideal concert at Geotis Park? Lots of good questions and great discussion today. But First Club and Country, of course, is sponsored by ML Rose. Eddie, we plan to actually meet at ML Rose soon to catch up over, over lunch. Uh, it'll be your first time, I understand, at this restaurant. So I got to ask you, 
what do you look for most in a good sports bar? There's the there's the hierarchy of needs, right? Whether it's a good beer list, good food, ambiance, you know, TV location. What what is it that that you think is your top priority when you're looking at a good sports bar? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I'm just thinking uh, the first thing, obviously, it's food. Um, but then I was thinking the sports bar. Wait a minute. So the ambiance. Uh, you know, you, when you walk in and you get a sense if you're going to a sports bar to eat, obviously you want the food. And by the way, you've been raving about their burgers at, at, at ML Rose. So every time we talk, I always say, well, let's go to ML Rose. I want to taste that burger <laughs> that you keep telling me is delicious and is great. So um, we'll make the time to do it. Um, yeah, I was thinking the ambience, make sure there is tons of screens, TVs, and mm-hmm. make sure there is multiple sports. You know, sometimes I love uh, other sports, Um but it's it's I love the mix when you walk in and then all of a sudden there's football or collegiate football and there's baseball and there is soccer and there is uh, you know dodgeball I don't know or <laughs> golf or uh, to have a mix of those I think it, it adds a, a really great ambiance of the diversity of different sports and it's great to see people just you know, gathering in some of the TVs, depending on which sport they're following. So yeah, for me, those are the two things, the ambience and the food. I can't speak to the dodgeball viewing experience at ML Rose. I can say I was at ML Rose recently for the Tennessee Alabama game, wearing my orange shirt today. So I hadn't gotten over that win. Um, And there was a sign under one of the TVs that said on game days, this TV is reserved for predators, Titans, Tennessee Vols and Nashville soccer club. I love that. You talk about a variety of sports. You talk about the viewing experience and the dependability that you know when you go to the 8th Avenue ML Rose, your team is going to be on if they're playing. One time my wife and I went to an unnamed uh, other sports bar in town that um, that was during a Preds game, which is a regular season game. But still, we expect that hometown hockey teams going to be on. It's like a Wednesday night in February. There's nothing else happening. The CMA Awards were on in the bar and the Preds are on in some tiny TV in the corner, but the audio for the CMA awards, maybe there's a reason that uh, that sports bar is no longer around. Uh, ML Rose gets it on the other hand. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and the good news is you get the ambiance, you get the access, to diversity of sports, but also pretty dang good food to go with it. So ML Rose, that's the place you should all go. It's off season now, so you can't go before NSC matches until next season, but you can still go enjoy it. And I guarantee you the team you care about, if you care about local teams and they're playing, they will be on. Let's head in now to our early shout. Driussi, bouncing off Velasco. And on he goes! That Sebastian Driussi goal, courtesy of ESPN, is called by friend of the show, John Champion. It's Austin, LAFC in the West, NYC, and Philly in the East. So a 1-2 battle on the West Coast, a 1-3 on the East side of things as Philly knocked off Alistair Johnston in Montreal. Eddie, any surprises among these final four teams? I know things kind of went chalk, but anybody that you're a little bit surprised to see in this position, and anybody besides Nashville that you're disappointed didn't make it this far? Yeah, it's... Uh, looking at it, I got a chance to catch a little bit of the games uh, over the weekend and actually even the first, second rounds. And, you know, I'm the story behind NYFC, NYCFC, sorry, uh, um, is quite remarkable. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, if, if you go back to the body of the season, and of course, being involved with Nashville, we were actually on the West side. So maybe didn't pay much attention to the East. Um, but it, it wasn't a club. It wasn't a team that was like, oh, my gosh, this team is absolutely just on all cylinders. They're doing fantastic. They were somewhat of a sleeper, you know, throughout the season. Then they snuck into playoff time. And I watched some of that Montreal game, and they were they, they were incredible. I mean, it, it's almost like they know how to peak at the right time. Mm-hmm. Certain players, they got some of those players were injured. They're coming back at the right time. The, the interim head coach has done a fantastic job of the chemistry and gelling. So I'm a little surprised that they are there. Not that – I'm a little surprised that Montreal was a 3-0 game, a 3-1 game, actually. Um, so more of a surprise that they would snuck – that they snuck into the into the conference championship. I thought Montreal was uh, – you know, I love watching how dynamic and fast and, you know, how quickly they can get into, into the attacking third. 
Uh, but I think experience came. It showed mm-hmm. into the game on Sunday. A New York team that had more experience, more balance, and of course, their their DP showed up. You know, right? So it's it's one of those things that you know you look at there how far they can go. I mean, they did it last year. They are on very familiar territory. They went to Philadelphia. They beat Philadelphia last year, um, and they won the thing. He won the cup. So it's like. Uh, th- that's an interesting that um and on the west side uh it's great to see one versus two isn't it it's fun it's, re- it's gonna be fun it's gonna yeah. be and especially you know just from an from a, a casual fan looking at that matchup right and you hear all the names and all that i just from one side i don't like the attitude of josh wolf i, I just you know being a witness of really close to being him, you know, being on the sideline kind of between two teams and listening to him. As, as a match observer you're referring to for the two Right, I, yeah, years, right? the year before I was, uh, I worked for MLS as a match uh, director, game director. So I, my job role was really make sure that if it was any kind of discrepancies or anything that it would be uh, worthwhile documenting for the um for the committees and for everything else, right? For the discipline committees that they had someone representing from the league or they needed to have a massive complaint that could come to me. Anyway, I got to observe a lot of these coaches. And Josh <laughs> Walsh was an absolutely a pain in the neck, um, <laughs> borderline disrespectful in the way how he treated. But it, it's almost, and then I think we talked about it in one of the, when we saw Austin, right? The DNA of the team kind of reflects on that. There's kind of like, in your face type of attitude, kind of what are you doing? And you're like complaining and on top of it, very passionate. Um, you can see him standing where versus a Steve Chirondolo, which is kind of sit back, chill, California style, <laughs> kind of, you know, he wears, I don't know if you saw one of the games, I think it was, it's actually, I don't know what game, it, maybe it was the one they played Nashville in the last regular home season. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt, you know? Well, they were all relaxed then. They'd already right, the like chill and like, okay, big deal. So it's uh, I'm looking forward to that just because of the clash of the personnel. Because you, you could argue that LAFC has somewhat of that, you know, tranquilo. And then all of a sudden they get going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, inspire Carlos Vela and, and needless to say, we haven't seen much of Gareth Bale and and some of the guys that we thought. But um, again, um, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I think that the four top teams are in the in the conference finals, and it just shows that it's well deserved. Ironic that LAFC is the team that tends to say, "All right, all right, all right," and not all their right, opponents. Uh, so, of course, we're both bummed that Nashville didn't make it this far, even if perhaps this was not the season when that was probably in the cards for it to happen based on how this team played at, at times, especially at home. One phrase we used a lot this year in our discussions was the phrase defining moment. It seemed like for several matches in a row there, it was this tonight could be a defining moment. Now we get to look back on that. In your opinion, what was the moment that best defined Nashville SC's 2022 season? You know, it's, it's a very good question. It's an interesting dynamic because we were reacting. And I remember very vividly, actually, at points we were actually joking, like, oh, my gosh, here we go. Another defining moment. It's hard to pick one, but I think a defining moment has to be the inconsistency of playing at home. Um, not knowing not knowing what team was going to show up, not knowing if we were going to get a passionate, a impactful performance, collective performance from the team. Um, Nashville F's, uh, Nashville ends in the fifth spot, undoubtedly because of losses at home against Houston, against Kansas City, uh, the tie uh, against San Jose, that at the moment there were teams that were struggling uh, but you can go back, and if you were in those games, we were so lucky to be there, um, not inspired. And, and and we always said, well, oh, there is a lot of season ahead. But we always also say, gosh, we gave three points away. They're going to come back. That, that's going to come back and bite us. And it did. It, it, bit, it bit Nashville because uh, playing at L.A., the guys in L.A., it's probably a different game if you played at home. Although we can argue, right, that the the, the – that playing at home, again, 
the final moment uh, yeah. for the entire season, not being able to establish themselves as that we're unbeatable at home. And I think that the final moment came because of that, because they were so many times against the wall. Now, they responded really well. Obviously, that that win against uh, Dallas, uh, FC Dallas was, was fantastic. It started what everybody hoped. My goodness, this is your last chance. you got to get three points here, and you got to go on a run if you want to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that was, for me, the biggest, um, most um, impactful uh, defining moment, that win at home. But I think we used our term defining moment as a way to qualify the inconsistencies and not being able to really, really be strong at home. Can we talk about that for just a second? Nashville did underachieve at home. They were awesome on the road. Best road team in the Western Conference. Awesome atmosphere at home, but they just could never quite put it all together for a sustained run. Yes, in certain matches they did toward the end of the year, but not consistently enough. Let's tap into the psychology of the players and technical staff. You have extensive experience in this league. You've been in those dressing rooms. You've been on those benches. In your opinion now, diagnose if you could what was going on there. What didn't just quite tick for this club on its home ground that works so well in the first two years of MLS at Nissan stadium. You know, it's, um, and and there's a couple vantage points that you can look at it, right? So if you look at it from a uh, coaching staff, you know, management side of things, there's so many little things that play a big role that they're critical. For example, uh, within those, uh, those home games that span, we would have two, three games in 10 days, right? Playing at home. Well, did the team had the right uh, 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 um, rest ratio? Um, it, I, I remember, I think it was maybe the Toronto game, right? It's a third game in one week. And all of a sudden, we're playing a Toronto team who hasn't played in seven, eight days. So they, you know, a team, any team in the MLS, and we all know the margin of error is so thin. Uh, it does play a role, right? Uh, your legs, uh, uh, emotionally or psychologically tired or, you know, coming, you know, just getting ready for that next game. There's a lot of preparation. I was, I was saw something the other day and it, it and it kind of put things into perspective that is it that uh, footballers, football, soccer players, football in the world, um, it's opposite to a lot of the jobs out there, right? As a profession where you spend an entire week preparing for 90 minutes, where normally a lot of other jobs you work all week, right? For, and you work all week and your preparation is 90 minutes, but every day you get, you have to uh, a showcase. So it's one of those things. So the expectations are really high. Well, hey, you're only doing your job for 90 minutes. But we haven't, you know, but it's hard for the fan to understand the preparation that it goes and the amount of hours on video analysis and breaking down games and looking at tendencies. So that was one of the factors. And the other one, you know, let's not forget that we had to throw a little bit of the U.S. Open Cup, that it added some additional games and managed a little bit of your roster. Um, did the team had enough depth? And that's another situation to look at. So I think, you know, when you look at all that, uh, it's a situation where can a team look ahead to the next game? So with all that said, you have players who are trying to get ready for that next game. And, And then, although as nice as it is to play at home, it comes with an additional level of stress and pressure. You're at home. You're supposed to win. And then uh, the, I, as an entire organization, you have built such a great environment. You know, those fans were absolutely dynamic and loud and really added to the whole experience, right? Well, we're all waiting for you now. You're supposed to perform. And then all of a sudden, it's one little thing here, one little there, an injury there. Another team gets on top of you. Teams kind of built i remember saying that on the radio we were talking about you can see how when teams were come in well they know now all of a sudden that they could steal points mm-hmm. so they were changing their way of playing maybe sitting back a little bit counterattacking nashville inviting them to come forward and then exploit them on the backside and 
And the next thing you know, they get a point out of it. And the next thing you know, they got three points out of it. And then that the subconscious guess, gets into players and performers' mind of like, oof, okay, well, we're not as solid as we think we are. So let's take care of the details. We got to do the little things better. And it just becomes an, a, a, a very interesting dynamic between the coaching staff, players. What, what we all know, none of those individuals in charge of that performance meant to lose a game. But one thing that if you look go back in some of those losses and if you go back and listen to Gary Smith, he would speak about uninspired performance. Mm-hmm. Players just not fully engaged and players not given, not they're not given 100% because they were. It was just not their day. Yeah. And the problem when you're thin on a roster, if you have two, three, four key players not being inspired, then that's what you get. You get you're given the opportunity to the other team. You, you're you're given that team a reason t- to stay alive. You know. Yeah, and and this was never a team that was going to have a lot of late winners or late equalizers when your striker depth is is tested and depleted. Teal Bunbury's injury for much of the season. He was great when he came back. Getting rid of Daniel Rios because you thought you had depth, and of course, Ake Loba not not panning out as you hoped. And so all of a sudden you're relying on late additions of Luke Hawkinson, who no disrespect to Luke, but his job typically is not going to be a stone cold late match winner with the exception of course, of the brace against Toronto. And so it did, I think too, it speaks to the power of collective memory that, you know, when you've succeeded in a situation, you're that much more confident you can succeed in that situation. Again, when you look back at Nashville, SC's first season, it's gestational phases at home. It established its identity on its home pitch at Nissan Stadium in front of nobody and then in front of a thousand or two thousand fans because it was during the pandemic. And so by the time fans showed up, you know, a little bit toward the end of that season, but especially in in year two in mass, they already knew who they were at home. They didn't have that pressure to perform, perhaps at home, the relationship with the home fans that Gary talks so often about when the pressure was on to form that relationship at Jodas Park, it, it it was interesting. And something else that, that Jake Ziven told me, the, the Portland play-by-play broadcaster who also does work for Fox and a little bit for ESPN, he said, you know, the other thing you don't think about is you're asking fans to show up an awful lot in the second half of the season over and over and over again for right. all these games. Right. The congested schedule, look, we all have lives. And you right. and I loved having a couple matches a week to go to, but it's a lot of work. And, and it's a lot to ask of a fan. And so you don't necessarily always get that same punch at home that you would if it was spread out over the course of a year. All very interesting. One one good thing, of course, that we were able to experience that I look forward to you experiencing soon was, was ML Rose before and after matches. And uh, again, want to speak to the power of community. And for, for me, you know, since I wasn't in the stands on match days, and I know you weren't either, it was really great to have somewhere to go after those matches and have conversations and rehash what, what went on. And ML Rose was that place. Amazing food games are going to be on next year. In the meantime, you can watch your Titans, your Vols. If you're a Tennessee fan, any major college game is going to be on NFL Sundays are great. Uh, we'll recommend ML Rose to anybody out there. Uh, we are a broken record on the show because of course they're our sponsor, but, uh, but quite honestly, that's where I've spent a lot of time lately. Um, I I'm, I'm spending my own money there. I'm not getting comps. I'm spending my own cash at Emil Rose because I believe in that place. Let's move on to the mailbag. Now, a lot of good questions from folks and Eddie, let's, let's dig deep on this one. I think this, there are a lot of really fun off season scenario questions. Um, the first word to I'm going to go to Christopher Price. And I responded to this tweet and said, I love this question. I think it's a great one. I think we can go deep with it. He says, how many MLS expansion teams made the playoffs in their first four seasons? Nashville, one of four in the modern era to do it in its first three seasons of existence. So he asks how many in their first four. What are the pressures other than parity that make that task so difficult? And what does Nashville need to focus on next year to mitigate those pressures? And I'll jump in first and tell you, um, in the modern MLS era, only Seattle has gone to the playoffs in each of its first four seasons. Everyone else, every club ever has failed to do that. And and part of that is that most of these clubs are missing out in in their first year. Look at Austin, right? They they miss out in in year one, and now they're playing in the final four of Major League Soccer now. What happened? 
to those clubs. We'll, we'll talk about the clubs that made it in the first three and failed. There are two of them then, Atlanta and LAFC. Uh, Atlanta, back in 2020, failed to adequately replace core members of its team. They signed big money players that just didn't really pan out. And they struggled to replace members of their leadership core, like Jeff Laurentowitz, like Michael Parkhurst, guys who were, who were you know, maybe not essential contributors on the pitch every match, but were key leaders and they didn't replace them adequately. So I think their scouting, uh, they, they spent a lot of money, but maybe on the wrong, on the wrong things. Seiko Barco never really panned out like they wanted. Pity Martinez, they got a bailout from a Saudi Arabian club to, to get him out of there. LAFC just had a one-year dip, and if you look at the underlying metrics, they were one of the best teams in Major League Soccer, and they just didn't perform when they needed to because they didn't get production from their young talent. They were high quality on the pitch, but last year they still missed out on the playoffs because they didn't have contributions when they needed them the most. So what are the obstacles to success then? Let's learn from Atlanta and LAFC, and then I'll toss it over, Eddie, for, for your opinion on this. I think there are five major factors that you've got to overcome if you want to go to the playoffs in your first four years. Number one is, of course, what everybody's got to deal with in this league and the source of that parity, which is a restrictive salary cap that's coupled now with increased agency from veterans. You can become a free agent sooner. Nashville benefited from that by getting Sean Davis in. Number two is the challenge of effectively scouting and recruiting international talent. It is a low efficiency ballgame, especially when you're looking at young talent. Look at Pinheiro as a great example of that. Okay, Loba, even, even though he's a little older and, and had done a little bit in Liga MX, not exactly an established player. You're banking on him being strong. It's, it's a much less certain game than Mike Jacobs' proven track record of recruiting domestic talent and understanding the domestic game here. Number three is the league's upward mobility for teams that are willing to invest major dollars. If you do spend on those DPs, you can grow, and you can grow fairly quickly. Look at Sebastian Driussi in Austin and the impact he's had. The fourth obstacle, replacing members of your core while still maintaining your identity. A lot of that Atlanta problem, Parkhurst, Lernowitz go, who do you replace them with? Nashville is going to have to look in the next few years, don't know exactly when, at, look, Captain Dax McCarty is going to retire at some point. He's not going to play until he's 50. Uh, Anibal Godoy, another, another guy who, again, we hope has good years left in him, but he's on the latter half of his career. And then finally, tactical evolution as other managers figure you out. And we saw some of that with Nashville, I think, this year. Gary Smith is a resourceful manager, but there were moments when, you know, Eddie, I think other clubs saw what Nashville wanted to do. LA, LA Galaxy knew Nashville wanted to sit back and counter. They did the same at times, and they forced Nashville to have to be creative with the ball, and Nashville wasn't ready. So what does Nashville need to do? Let's follow those five challenges above, and then I'm going to get off my monologue and let you actually talk here. No, uh, this is great. A increased lot of veteran agency. So that's number one. Take advantage of it. Selectively sign impact free agents using uh, Mike Jacobs and this scouting staff's renowned domestic evaluation capabilities. Um, in terms of international talent, I think this has been a bigger challenge for the club. Uh, Hani Mukhtar coming in, Randall Leal, both amazing pickups who have been core to this team's formation. But you have Yonder Cadiz, you have Aki Loba, you have Pinero, you have examples where they haven't hit. You're going to miss. Again, it is a low efficiency game for everybody. It's not a uniquely Nashville problem, but they really can't afford to miss on the next DP. If they do shed Ake Loba, they're going to probably have to invest more in, their, in his replacement if the budget's there to ensure, to the extent you can in this crazy game, that you're set up for better success than they had with Ake Loba. Uh, replacing members of the core, I think you know they're going to have to phase in new team members and, and get into supplementary mode instead of rebuilding mode, like Sean Davis, like Teal Bunbury, where you're you know as, as you're moving forward, you're 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 uh, to, to use an Air Force metaphor, you're refueling in flight. You're still on the move, but you've, you're restocking rather than parking the airplane and, and taking it to the hangar. Um, and then finally, tactical evolution. I think Nashville again, needs to bring in the attacking talent to make them the brighter team they aspire to be, a team that can possess and pop. And Hani Mukhtar's talked about that here in recent days, that you know this team needs to do more on the ball and not just rely on being a team that, yeah, they can be bright at home, but is, is set up to counter. Um, I think that's going to take some tactical evolution as well as some talent evolution. Uh, that was five minutes right there, Eddie. But, but anything... Brilliant. That, Anything you want to touch on or add to or disagree with in that? No, I think you're right on. I, and again, and, and it shows the complexity of this league uh, and how the target is always moving. Uh, needless to say, it's no different than the Bundesliga, the premiership. The, the difference there is your salary cap. The difference there is that the richer gets rich and the poor gets poor. And then all of a sudden, 
in some of these leagues, you just fight for survival so mm-hmm. you can continue to get the broadcast money. MLS is different, structure so differently. That's why it's such a interesting conversation. Because, but, but I, I think if, when I was listening to you, the one word that popped into into all of this, and then maybe it, it it helps a little bit. It's value. At the end of the day, it's finding the value. So, good example you mentioned Akaloba, right? The value was there in the evaluation, no doubt about it. Um, how much did we pay for that value, that perceived value, versus what you actually obtained from it, right? Um, so, but you can only evaluate after the fact. So, you could quickly say, well, we miss on that one because we didn't get the value of what we pay for this player. And so, okay. But you can very quickly, even within that same roster, let's talk about Schaufferberg. There's tremendous value. Absolutely. Because of what you acquire the player or what you're thinking. I know there is this clause that, you know, probably he'll, he'll get signed on a permanent basis with the club. But it's because of what he showed, the value of it. But players are like commodities, right? We, they go up and they go down in value. And so it's such a – that's why the difficulty uh, – those are the challenges because we could also argue Hani Mukhtar. When Hani Mukhtar was signed by this club, did we know his value? Really? We didn't know. We knew that he, had a, he was playing in Scandinavia. Okay? So – is that a good pulse that if you succeed in Scandinavia, where was he in Norway or Denmark or Sweden? Denmark, yeah, Bromby. Denmark, right. So he was in Denmark, but it took Hani Mukhtar really two years to really flourish. But the value now has been exponentially paid ten times. Yeah. Well, he got rewarded, and he's got now a DP type of contract. But that DP contract is still less money than if you go right out. And buy and get a DP at the five, six, seven million dollar um, range, right? So it, it's 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 one of the toughest things uh, for this league, and then I think it goes all the way down to again from a managerial standpoint to players is that how do you hit that right value? Um, and sometimes you, you luck out, and sometimes you don't. And the last thing about you mentioned that more of that experienced player. Well, now you have. A, you have more evidence, more information that allows you to identify those Sean Davises and the Teal Bunbury of, of the world because now they have a track record and value can be assessed a little bit differently. And then the risk rate gets reduced because you kind of now know. But on the flip side, are those players going to be instrumental and in moving a team from the middle of the pack to the top of the pack. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, they are blue-collar players. And there's an expression, right? They're piano carriers, oh, yes. perhaps not piano players. So it's, it's one of those things that within a roster, you got to have that mix. And, and it all comes down to how you evaluate, how do you assess value. Uh, it's such, such good stuff. And that's uh, a, an analogy, by the way, that Mike Jacobs himself has used, I think, on this show. The piano carriers, uh, a la a Sean Davis, versus a, a piano player, a la Hani Buktor, or what Schaffelberg did there toward, toward the end of the year. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the ambition of this club then. Because I think that's the ultimate question that, that we're going to find out this offseason. John Mueller uh, says he wants to echo Valer Shabila, great friend of the show, for another former guest co-host, by the way, of this show. Uh, Valer, on, on this past week's pharmaceutical soccer um, reference to John Mueller, talked about it here, whether this upcoming offseason is a make or break offseason. Uh, how am, how ambitious are you type of deal for this team? What do you think, Eddie? Would, would you use the term make or break here? Or do you think this is, you know... A, a, it's, it's obviously an important offseason. I don't think, I don't think any of us is going to deny that. Would you go as far to say it's make or break? Yeah, interesting because I think it it um, is based on on the perspective. Make or break for whom? Make or break for the entire franchise? Well, you have made the playoffs three out of three years. Make or break for the coaching staff? Make or break for certain players that are coming into the last year contract. 
make a break to the scouting department for finding better talent, more in you know, the value um, in terms of what you're going to pay versus what the out the the output can be. I I think it's it's, it's a loaded question. It's a tough one. Uh, but if we're just going to look at it as an organization, um, I don't think so. I don't think it's a make a break. Uh, make a break because your objective is to win the MLS Cup, then that's what I'll be seeking. And maybe that's what my fan base standpoint, that is the the vantage point. What mm -hmm. do we have to do to win an MLS Cup? And we do know that what has been done is not enough because as while you think you have a good roster, there's always going to be a better roster. There's always going to be that breakthrough player. And sometimes you have a team that has more than one breakthrough player within the same season, and that creates the difference, right? The margin is so it's thin, right? But you mm -hmm. create three, four of those players that come through. A young player who all of a sudden you didn't expect much. Again, let's talk about Schafferberg. That's a great example of a young player that none of us, at least I, have no idea what to expect. Yeah, same. None. None. And all of a sudden, and then the evaluation on his value at the end of the season, mind-boggling, right? Where's this kid been? How much better can he be? He's only 22 years old. Look at the ceiling. He is aggressive. He fits within what the club is trying to do. So those are the, 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 the very important aspects of defining a make-or-break. Um, as a soccer fan who lives in the market, um, I wouldn't categorize this as a make or break. Yeah. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. Um, it, and I think this year it was evident, right? And, and I think that the fan base got a little bit more outspoken, and it's a very educated fan base. I mean, they know exactly. They have a pulse of what's going on, and I love that, you know? And it's great that it's it, there is that demand, that, 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 they, that they are applying that pressure because pressure can make us – better right yeah. feeling that and then i think that's that's where uh it, it's, it's an integral part of of continuing to grow and and to get better yeah i think we i can i can say that this is going to be the busiest off season since the creation of the roster i can say that it's the most important so far except for that foundational you know roster build Make or break? I don't think so, because I think this team is too successful already to be made. Yes, I know. MLS Cup, I get it. But when you're finishing in the top five-year conference two consecutive years, you're going to the playoffs as an expansion team three consecutive years. Nashville's, Nashville's made it um, as, as a club that is according to its goals of, of perennially being in the playoffs and seeing what happens. On the other hand, it's too stable to be broken. I think unless you're all of a sudden selling all your key pieces, you sell Hani Mukhtar and Walker Zimmerman, then let's talk about breaking this team and rebuilding. But as long as they're still around, I think this club could easily make three or four sensible changes and maintain where it is as a, quote, made club of MLS, as a top five team in whatever conference they end up playing in next year. But the better question for me is, John Second, of how ambitious are you? Because I think there, exactly therein right. lies the real crux of it is, is this club content to continue to be a good club? Um, sometimes a great club, or does it want to be a supporter shield contending club? And to do that, it's going to take a lot of cash, a lot of ambition. And I think there's one canary in that coal mine. There's one move we're going to look at to see how ambitious this club really is. And it is, it's a two-parter, right? What does the club do with Ake Loba and how do they replace him? And if you see them sell him for whatever you can sell him for, or, or use the buyout or, or, or do whatever, um, are you bringing in somebody at a three, $4 million level that you think you can extract value from? Hey, it worked for Honey Mukhtar. It can certainly work. Or are you spending at or more of that level of Ake Loba, the $7 million range to say, we're getting it right this time. And that's not going to be everything, but it is going to signal ambition. Um, and I'll be really interested to see what, what that decision looks like. And, uh, and yeah, we'll right. find out here soon enough. Um, Logan Elliott, Good friend of the show again, sat and watched Arsenal again with him this past Thursday during my lunch break. What moves should we prioritize this offseason? Are there any upgrades that you'd consider a must? Eddie, I think we'd both agree forward and central midfield are two major priorities here. Um, players like CJ Sapong and Teal Bunbury, there are, there are options there. Um, so the club could potentially 
make some changes there. Central midfield, obviously, they, they upgraded with Sean Davis last offseason, but there are opportunities to to make some other moves there to kind of look at the Dax and Anibal of the future. Which of those two areas do you think is more important this offseason? And are there any other positions that I didn't reference there where you'd like to yeah. see them take action? Well, you know, it's, 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 it's such a... Hmm. Maybe I'd love to entertain a, maybe a different vantage point, a different perspective, and to say maybe before, if I was in, in as, as in a managerial position, I will I will go through the exercise and and ask and go through is it where's Hani Mukhtar's best position? Hmm. Is he a forward or is he a forward made because of the lack of? Uh, obviously, we know the closer to the goal higher impact he's going to have. He proved it this year for sure. But at the same time, a lot, how did he score his goals? Where were the, were the buildups coming out of the midfield? You know, uh, he found himself in situations in the one V ones and a lot of into the space, you know, picking up some rebounds. He scored in very many different ways. Um, so that would be one question. What, what is Henny Mukhtar? Is he a 10? Is he a 9? Is it a 9 and a half? Is it an 8? Is it a 10? Is it an 11? I mean, again, the beauty of the modern game is that right players can move and the flexibility and the ability for him to adapt in certain pockets and he can move and operate in between lines. Great. But then I will ask the same question. I will go through that exercise and I will ask Randall out. Where's Randall best position? Mm-hmm. You know, where can we get the best version of Randall Leal? And I will go again and go to the next one. And I focus on Randall Leal and I'm going to focus on Aníbal Godoy. Did we, have we gotten the best of Aníbal Godoy? Is Aníbal Godoy hit the ceiling? Is this is it? Is this is what we're going to see from him? Because those are international players, right? He had international slots and they might be playing on a green card. I'm not sure. So my apologies if I don't know the structure of this roster 100%. But it begs the question of how do I look at things? So I, that's what I would do. I will take a step back and I will look at that because I could argue that we need probably a, an attacking midfielder. If Hanny is going to be your first option as a forward in, in a certain situations, we saw how Gary Smith, Gary Smith moved from that, you know, a four, three, three to a uh, three uh, from a four, two, three, one, uh, to a five three two, uh, and, and, and so there was a, a, a constant several formations and so forth. But at the end of the day, is that what positions can give you? We could we can definitely say yes. We need someone who can help Hanny Mukhtar score more goals to be a better partner. That forward who can score ten to twelve goals a season, they're out there. Um, an attacking midfielder. Uh, do we need another? We don't know center back. Do we need an, a left back? Do we need a goalkeeper? How? I mean, the conversation of goalkeeping, it was pretty active right through the middle of the season. Remember, and and fans were so upset, or fans were great, and and you know, so Joe Willis lived this high and low, and then ended in a really high. I mean, obviously, he 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 has. He grew this season as well, and that's all—that's what you always want to hear from a goalkeeper to continue to grow and be better. But who is the backup of Joe Willis today? Um, so there is a series of, of moving parts. But again, me—I would do the exercise or try to identify some of my key players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how long is Dax playing? How long? You know, is does Schaffelberg really? Have we seen the? Is, is this is it, or there's more in there? Um, you know, Shaq Moore got called into the national team uh, kind of fitness. And, okay, is Shaq Moore going to be a better version of Shaq Moore? I'm looking forward to that, of uh, that international type of caliber player. Yeah. Not that he didn't do well. I thought he was fantastic. No, but he'll be established with the club now. Established with the club. And and the other thing is, what are you evaluating against? So uh, without mentioning names, but it's the same thing that we use when Schaffelberg came in and earned a starting spot. What was the impact of Schaufferberg for Alex Mule, for Hackinson, for uh, Washington? Players who could play in that role, and they're going, whoa, now that's the standard. That's what I need to strive. That's what I need to get to. Is there another layer for uh, Shaq Moore? And who did he replace as that right back? Well, 
now it's time to leapfrog, to continue to leapfrog in that next. Uh, because again, ultimately, you need those players, those core players to have better performances consistently to reach that next level. And if they cannot do it, and you look at the bench and there's no one who can do it, then you got to go find and buy them. Okay. So so who can do it then? Payancito asks, is it too early to ask uh, Tim for an exhaustive list of realistic forward prospects? And we'll get Tim on here and give his opinion. No Tim this week, of course. But, but Eddie, is there a forward in this league whom you identify as A, signable for this team, and B, a good fit on this roster? Knowing that I'm not asking you maybe to, to name an MLS name who's going to come in and score 20 goals and transform the right. club, but somebody who could be a CJ Sapong or a Teal Bunbury, a complimentary piece that ends up uh, becoming a member of this core. Yeah, and that's a good question. So looking at it just purely from a tactical standpoint, what is the club going to be looking for as that center forward? Do you want a player who can hold the ball because we're going to bypass the midfield a little bit or we're going to play into the pockets and we want a, a bigger, stronger uh, type of physical center forward or you want someone who's going to be complimenting Hanny Mukhtar, both of them kind of a nine and a half, kind of like what you get from a uh, um, Jesus Ferreira, right? Someone who can step out, come in, or so I think those are the questions and how do they fit? Or do you just go get the guy who's going to bang 10, 12 game goals for the season and with the upside of maybe he does scores 15, 16. Now, not many of those, but on a consistent basis. Um, and, and so that's one way to look at it. Names is difficult. And the other thing, too. To keep in mind is that do you want an MLS player with experience in MLS? So he understands already the league. That is so important. How yeah. do we cut down the adaptation? How do we, it, it takes time to adapt to a league, especially players who are coming from other countries, the language, um, the, 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 the lifestyle, the travel that goes on. Um, can they adapt to that playing on turf more than they would like to? Uh, in a turf surface. So is it better to get a player in the league who has been in the league for four or five years that you can now on waivers or you can write out, just buy him and pay max price, but he's a proven commodity with a very high track record in terms of value? Mm -hmm. um, or did you go and invest in some young player out of South America and, so you said it earlier. Do you take your risk? Yeah, high risk, well, low reward, or high re high reward potentially, but high risk. Yeah, high reward. Can we wait? And that's the question. Yeah, right? can yeah. we wait? So I, I think that's where, or you can get a more experienced forward coming out of somewhere in the world that can come in right away. And it, it's such a dynamic, such a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it's tough. I'll give you uh, I'll give you three names on my end that, that would be fun to explore. This is, again, speculative. Um, I went on record last week that I am Zarda's curious. I wonder if Jossie, at the, at the right price point, because he's going gonna to have to splash some cash even for a short-term deal. Uh, Gary Smith is high on Jossie Zardes. He has spoken very respectfully of, of Zardes in the past. Jossie comes into Colorado last year via trade from Columbus and scores nine goals and 26 appearances, acquitted himself well. Still has the the chops. Maybe he comes in and he and he fits that hold up play mentality, right? He's one of the best at what he does in in Major League Soccer uh, and has been for a long time. Do you do you do a year contract with a second year option for the club? Uh, another name is Will Bruin. Um, Seattle announced uh, about four hours before recording time uh, here on Tuesday that Will Bruin's option was not picked up. Uh, Bruin is a 33 year old MLS veteran. Um, he is not one who's going to bang in you know, a goal probably even every three or four matches. But I wonder if he's a supplementary piece, a, a, a you know, this coming year's Teal Bunbury. And I, I would expect Bunbury to stick around too, but but another veteran that you're that you're adding to contribute. Um, and a wild card could be somebody like Miguel Barry, uh, Jossie's former partner in Columbus, a breakout eight goal season um, in 2021. He was traded to DC this past year and it, it didn't really work out for him. Maybe he was a one-year flash in the pan. But maybe he's somebody. If you can again get a get good value, get a, a you know relatively light you know trade value or or signing, you know he's got sturdy frame, good hold up play. He's one who can be a poacher and can score for you some really impressive goals in Columbus. Yeah. I wonder if he's a possible compliment. None of these three are going to elevate to Nashville, Nashville to MLS Cup by themselves. But I think you know one of those three would fit what Gary Smith likes to do: bypassing midfield, good hold up play, great teamwork to put Hani at a hybrid number nine slash ten. 
Leal in a free roll beneath them. So just just three names that I think could be fun to to follow and uh, recognizing we had a hundred percent hit rate last year. We said Sean Davis uh, to this question, uh, not for forward, but obviously elsewhere. And Nashville then signed him. So we'll see if we can keep our streak alive. Chris Hull has the MLS Cup window closed on this team's core players. Good question here again. And I don't I don't think so. I think as long as you have Hani and Walker on your team, you are in supplement mode rather than rebuild mode. You can you can build around those building blocks, and the window is still is still open if they are the heart of your core. Um, and you add a name like Dan Lovitz to that, a Dave Romney, Jack Mayer's made himself part of the core, I think. The question for me is not whether Nashville can remain a cup contender with these players. I think it can. The question again, as we've discussed a minute ago, Eddie is will it try to build a shield contender by adding to that core, or is it going to remain content to get to the playoffs and see what happens from there? You know, you mentioned earlier, and I think it comes full circle. And I think it was one of our fans uh, and part of the mailbag ambition. I, I, I there's no doubt that, uh, unless we know what the level of the ambition is for the club um, and just to have an understanding that, for example, the price tag on Akaloba, what is what does that also mean in the office? The dent that they might have. Are we now, is that now, oof, we took a risk ah, and look what happened. So again, all of those are such a important questions, right? They all play a big role. At the end of the day, we can be all you ambitious all you want, but that ambitious has a price tag. And the question is, is the ownership available, willing to, to open up the checkbook once again and to say, hey, I believe in that risk. I hope they are. And that would be an incredible sign of ambition. But at the same time, uh, there is other ways, as Mike Jacobs have done a fantastic job of assembling this team, how they have gone about it. It's got to fit within the culture of how mm-hmm. they do things as well. So um, uh, it's it's what we have to be careful here is manage the expectations and the expectation from the fan base that a big name, big splash of money, is not equal to success. And uh, and I think that's it's it's sometimes it's hard for a hard die fan who comes to every game. <laughs> Uh, because sometimes you see a good example is look at this splash of Gary Bell and some of the other players around the league. Has he had the impact that we expected that Gary Gareth Bell would have? I don't think so. Not this year. Not this year. Uh, now, he might be a revelation next year because he's adapting to a different league, adapting to everything else. Uh, maybe he just needed games to get ready for the World Cup. Maybe that's his motivation. You know, uh, it, 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 all those things are all part. How hungry is a prospect to to come? Are they using MLS as a springboard to a better, bigger league in Europe? And which we have seen that trend quite a bit in MLS mm-hmm. as well. And some teams have done fantastic on on doing that. So anyway, Almiron is a good example. Atlanta, yeah. When they bought Almiron, who was Almiron? Twenty one, twenty year old out of Paraguay. And look at now playing for Newcastle and look at the last four or five weeks. An amazing guy. scouting job by Atlanta there. And and the, the problem with Atlanta was replacing him and replacing still being successful, exactly. reinvesting that cash. So I, to I, answer the question, right, the fans question is that it, it's a make it a, what, what was the, the, the main question you were answering? Yeah, a, a make or break. Uh, and, and this no. this particular question was, was the MLS Cup window closing on this team's core. But yeah, the idea right. of this being a make or break off season. Right, right, exactly. So, Full circle, evaluate your roster, see if what players have hit the ceiling, which ones are the ones you can be very creative and are you willing to open your pocketbook once again? Can you get value for Akaloba? Can you get something out of him? That's going to be another question, right? But, so yeah, it's all part of the equation. Yeah, and he could just end up being that sunk cost that you say, all right, we'll write him off. And maybe we'll maybe maybe they subtract his salary of almost two million dollars from whatever transfer budget they they have in mind. Who knows? But it'll be interesting to see for sure. All right, three fun questions to close out the show today. Uh, the first is going to be from Finn Breland uh, with us. Um, 
report I'll add the word reportedly here because it's not been announced by the club with Nashville reportedly or possibly shifting back to the Eastern Conference next season again not confirming that here but we'll treat it as a hypothetical right. is there a team in the West that you see Nashville keeping any kind of rivalry with or are we content to go back to our Cincy and Atlanta hating ways and I'll add one more thing let's add Orlando right. and NYCFC to that list as two clubs that kind of formed organic rivalries with this with this team what do you think? Anybody in the West that you're going to say, ah, maybe there's some holdover angst there that that'll be fun when, when Nashville sees them once a year. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I, I just don't think that uh, me. I don't think so. I, I don't no. think there's a team that, you know, we created maybe perhaps if there is a storyline because of Austin, that's what I don't want. Yeah, depending on what happened with the with the MVP, which by the way, wow, what Jerusi has done in the last two games of the play. That voting's done, huh? Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say that. Thank goodness, right, for the prospect of ha- Nash for having their MVP this season, because she was absolutely MVP instrumental on the win on Sunday. There's oh, no right. doubt about it. And had a break yeah, and exactly right. So it's it's just uh it's, it's incredible. So maybe that because of what it means, but uh yeah, I I I love the Cincinnati one and I I like the Atlanta one. That the Atlanta one is the one that's been probably the longest, right? Is Charlotte well, Cincinnati is Charlotte getting becoming back to USL technically, but but Char- right. Charlotte I think develops next year. I think that's one yeah. that can really develop once you see them more than once, and I hope it does. I mean, you know, Nashville and Charlotte are still six hours apart, but but yeah, it's a neighboring cool. state. There's a right. there's an area probably where there's a, some mingling of fans there. Two similar yeah, cities right. on the rise. I see that yeah. definitely growing next year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Question number two of three here. John Mueller, love this one. If you were designing the new away jersey, what would be a must in your design? Do you stick with the with the acoustic blue here? Or you think you do something a little different, Eddie? Acoustic blue. You're talking about in terms of the collar. Yeah, the that purple? that navy they have now. That do you purple? stick with that, or do you do something a little different in design? Yeah, I think it's time. Yeah, I love actually the piping on the jersey that it has the 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 what is that kind of a musical ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love the piping on the side of the jersey. Um, I I would uh, maybe change the color, uh, the color, uh, maybe a little bit of traditional, maybe a little button, maybe a little cut, you know, like a little color in it. And I think that might be something a gold unique. collar. Yeah, that'd be something a little bit different, something that I can wear under a jacket and still go out. I don't know. Um, Something a little more dressy for that perspective. And I know sometimes players don't like it because it chokes them a little bit. Um, uh, But uh, uh, yeah, that that might be something different. Um, Of course, FC, I love what some of the clubs have done with that half hoop. You know, ah, now you're taking where group. I'm going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Vancouver, you know, a good look there too. With like, yeah, the, Vancouver, and yeah. then um, who was the other one the other night? I saw it that I thought it was really cool. And of course, they're throwing all kind of different colors and neon this and yeah. a little teal and a little bit this pastel colors that I think that I like it because you can contrast with the hoop, right? Um, so I'm all right. Here, see, see what you think about this one. Acoustic blue and white hoops with the gold side paneling. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're, you're talking acoustic blue, acoustic okay. blue with with just a good old classic white. Just um, one on the, no, on the center or, or like Cel- Celtic style. Well, you know what? Okay. Maybe in the center because that's going to give a better showcase to your sponsor. So so you go white, you go with the blue hoop there, and you have the gold side paneling that mirrors the the blue look they have at at home, where they have the gold with the blue side paneling. You do mm. gold side paneling, and that's kind of your trademark moving forward with the sound waves. But then, yeah, a blue hoop across the across. That's the what a sound wave. That was that. Yeah. Well, what that, do you think? Okay. Is that I, I'm not a I'm not a Jersey architect. So wait a minute. Okay, so you won one hoop, one one, one hoop. hoop like Vancouver style, right? Okay, and then but then you have it. Then you want the stripes going down. Is that what you said? I want the side the side panels. So, so the like they have panels. the blue down the down the sides for the home kits. Do gold down the sides for the road that differentiates you from a Vancouver, for instance, who would have a similar scheme. I think that could look pretty sharp. I like it. it, 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 it is it is it too busy if we throw a couple uh, of, of stripes going down? Do uh, it. Half Do it. To, the, to one center and then 
Stripe, stripe, and then solid in the back. Ooh, solid in the back would look really good. That would also be a nice number in just solid in the back, but the front has. <laughs> I love it. I don't know. I love it. Maybe. It sounds good to me. All right, last fun question. Uh, Jonas Park announced this week that Shania Twain will be their first ever concert. It's going to be in early June next year. Mm-hmm. Stooks B. Hugging is his handle, but today it's Stooks B. Rocking. As what would be your ideal concert at Geodas Park? Oh. Let me ask you, uh, from a aesthetic, or from a, a where would the band play? What do they place the band? Because there's not a, a stage. Do well, they put think, yeah, the, they'd have to bring one that end. I, I think they're going to set that up. Yeah, on one of the ends, right? So you have like right. the semicircle plus ground seating. So you're probably still looking at twenty five thousand capacity. I think bigger mm. than Bridgestone Arena, not as big as Nissan. There's a, there's a sweet spot that a lot of bands. I think Shania is a good example. Somebody who may not fill a, a sixty five thousand seat stadium, but mm. she could fill Bridgestone a couple times probably. So she you know she goes for that happy medium. Yeah, that's a great question. You want me to uh, give you, uh, you know, uh, from a, from the Hispanic population, Hispanic, uh, I would bring someone like Mana, mm-hmm. a rock band in Spanish because they're really good. They're kind of in that twenty five, thirty thousand now. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. they're just fan- so established, fantastic, and I think everybody would enjoy within our uh, growing Hispanic community. And when it comes to um, another band. Um, how popular is Creed and Metallica and those guys? Creed, I hadn't thought about Creed since sophomore year of high school. I'm uh, telling you, Creed Metallica or... though, they could rock out. Creed and Nickelback, there you go. Yeah, Creed and Nickelback, <laughs> something like that. I, I would love. Uh, I'm showing my age, of course, but um, you know uh, what is that other red chili peppers? Red and... hot chili peppers would be awesome. Yeah, be fun. Red, and you can throw you know? hot chicken at it, and, and there's a tie in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Works. Uh, all right, here's mine. I say. You have a you have a Nashville SC concert night where you cater to the supporters, and you you have uh, the Black Keys and the Weeks, and you just play on endless loop. Gold on the ceiling and gold don't rust, and it's gold night. Um, that's not actually a serious answer, but both of those could could kill it and and have great yeah. uh, great turnout. Also, don't sleep on maybe Vanderbilt playing some football there one of these days. Maybe you put a UT Vandy football game at Geodas Park. Or more likely a Vandy game that they're not going to sell out anyway. UT is going to buy up all the tickets at Vanderbilt Stadium. So maybe you, you know, you have a, a, a Vanderbilt football game. There's not a concert unless you count their their band, which is made mostly of Lipscomb and Belmont students, as as the concert. But sorry, UT fan wearing orange today. But yeah. uh, I wonder if if you play a little little college football there one of these days um, could be uh, could be fun, especially as Vanderbilt embarks on some renovations of their. Uh, of their stadium in the coming year. So I'm going to cop out and say football over music. Cause that's Whoa. how I roll. That's how football I roll. Over music. That's how I roll. Uh, well, all right. It, it, you may upset some purists of the game right. who do not want to see 577 lines on that field. And then it's so hard to remove down the road. Just play uh, the football games at Jodas Park and make it a, if it's UT Vandy, you're talking Thanksgiving. You're talking unless Nashville's, you know, in the semis or an MLS cup, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the schedule, it, it's probably right. done there, but you still got yeah. nice, healthy grass. It's, yeah. it's ready to go. So maybe that's it. We'll see. Um, final whistle. Now let's get into some, some content recommendations. I'll put you on the spot here in a minute and, and ask you if there's any good soccer related content that you've been reading or following in, in all of your spare time, which I know is so vast. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm extremely busy. One of the busiest people I know. I'll, I'll give mine first while you think, and I'm just going to say, watch the USL playoffs too. They're in their final eight as well. Memphis and Louisville still alive. Pittsburgh Riverhounds, some teams that, that Nashville USL, um, originals uh, ogs would know um and you're gonna see one or two players from that league make the move up usually each year to mls and at least have a chance in this league so it can be scouting a little bit too um so that's what i'm gonna say is watch the usl uh championship playoffs as well especially if you're bummed about nashville not being around and want to watch a league where you don't really have any stakes that's yeah. my, what do you think no, i love that i love that that's well done um you know, for me, uh, I'm coming from a little bit of a different place, right? Uh, if uh, I think it's there's a, a, a ton of information on YouTube, uh, um, 
uh, with regards to coaching, to regards to mm, uh, mm-hmm. formations and what different teams like. You know, during this off season, uh, sometimes and the the game is changing so much, uh, right? And uh, uh, there's a couple of very good platforms. Without no one is specific, but maybe uh, uh, listen to some of these coaches and some of them very you know European base or Latin base and about it, how do they explain a four three three playing against a three five two or mm. a four two three one playing in a situation in a counterattacking and and all of a sudden it's just uh, again I, that's what I do for a living as well so I, I love those things and the last one that I got really hooked on. And because my son Nico recorded it for me, and uh, welcome Wrexham. Oh yeah, I need the to get documentary. into that. Yes, and I've been watching it, and so far I'm really hooked. Uh, I love uh, the what what community means, uh, what a soccer team means to community, and what uh, Reynolds and I, oof, the other owner, uh, uh, McMenery, uh yeah. have have been able to do with that team and put them into a global stage. And, but there's such a, they do a good job and I'm only like an episode nine. Uh, they've done a really good job of even highlighting the problems of hooligans. Uh, they have highlighted issues with, um, you know, performance and, and how they every day, the passion that is poor in the anxiety I thought it was, it's, it's, I thought I think it's a pretty good um, uh, reflection what fans go through, but also ownership, coaching staff, and players. It's, it's a nice uh, behind the scenes uh, perspective of the game. That's awesome. Uh, I, I'm behind on that one. I watched the first episode. I need to get back in and and watch that maybe tonight when uh, when the wife and baby are asleep. That'll be my my uh, evening viewing with a glass of whiskey. Awesome. We'll see. Um, Ooh. Yeah, just a little, just a little. The whiskey cabinet's too full, so I got to even a little, a little weekday whiskey every now and then mm. in, in moderation. Pretty delightful. Yeah. Eddie, thanks for joining. I really appreciate you uh, spending time with us in Tim's absence. Um, Gigantico Biz on Twitter. You guys give him a follow. I even, Eddie, you were my content recommendation a couple of weeks ago, by the way. I told people, give Eddie a follow. He's been such an integral voice for Nashville SC this season. And so I, hopefully you saw the follower count tick up. Um, and, and hopefully we'll see some ratings and reviews come in from you guys as well. If you liked this episode, take just a couple minutes, hop on Apple Podcasts, give us a, a quick five-star rating uh, and a review. And uh, any any final thoughts, Eddie, before we head out today? No, man, I just wanted to thank you. You do a fantastic job. I think everybody who follows me knows that, you know, uh, you're a consummate professional. I've learned so much from you. So I appreciate this opportunity. Uh, thank you. Uh, uh, for those who have followed, last time we were in that, I think we, we were in a campaign to get to 500. I'm not there yet. But I could see it. I think I think it increased about sixty or seventy people who actually right. start following. So I was really, really uh, honored about that. So well, thank you for to you and to all your listeners and uh, to soccer fans. World Cup is just around the corner. Can't wait. We'll be talking about a lot more here on Club and Country, Eddie. Thanks again. Thanks to Four Forty Sports Network for giving us the platform. ML Rose for the sponsorship. Moon Taxi for the music. We will see you all next week.